This is the Leading Second Podcast. We're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Well, what's up, Leading Second? Welcome back to season three of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart. I'm really excited you're here today for an episode that I have been uh, waiting for uh, for weeks uh, here this fall. Uh, Of course, Leading Second Podcast, we always aim to bring something relevant and helpful. And we have been focused over the last few weeks on uh, some of the urgent uh, topics and uh, things that I felt just were really big on my heart for leaders in this season, leading in 2020. But this conversation today we're going to have uh, is a really important one that we're going to continue to have at Leading Second pre, during, and post-COVID season. And that is a conversation on leadership health. I'm so excited today. We're joined by a friend of ours in Leading Seconds, Kayla Stecklin. Uh, she's an author and an influencer uh, in the local church, and um, we have some good things to hear from her today. So really glad that you're here. Hey, if you're not a part yet, I want to encourage you to join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. Uh, that is our community. That is where we do life together every week. And as the podcast is getting ready to go on its annual winter hiatus for a uh, for a couple months, we only have a couple episodes left until we take kind of our winter break and we uh, prepare to launch season four of the podcast, I want to encourage you to join the Leading Second Collective on Facebook and stay in touch with us there. That's a place for you to ask questions, bring your best uh, learn from other leaders. We try to share some things that are valuable on there that are only available there. So search Leading Second Collective on Facebook and um, make plans to join our community. So back to today's conversation. Today, we're going to talk leadership health. And I'm so excited that Kayla Stecklin joined us recently for a Leading Second meetup that we recorded and wanted uh, to bring to you. Many of you would be familiar with Kayla's story. A couple of summers ago, she walked through the sudden and tragic death of her husband uh, to suicide and really highlighted their family's journey through uh, anxiety, depression, and mental health challenges. And she chose to boldly uh, grieve publicly and bring all of us on a journey and highlight just a necessary conversation on mental health that I believe the church needs to be having. And uh, I got a chance to meet her last year, Lindsay and I did, and uh, we fell in love with her, her spirit, and her story. And she's back on the podcast today to have a conversation with us on leadership health. And before we get there, I think it's just important for us to understand why this topic is so important. Barna Research recently released some data earlier this year that shows that millennials and Gen Z are living in an age of anxiety. Two in five young adults around the world report anxiety about things like important decisions, uncertainty about the future, a fear of failure, and even a pressure to be successful. And no doubt church leaders are right in the mix with that. The challenge that I see is, and it's highlighted in Barna's research, that only 30% of pastors feel well-equipped to help congregants deal with matters of mental health and emotional health. 
And um, certainly that's not just true for pastors, but all of us leading or on staff or on team at church. And I just think that uh, we can do more to educate ourselves and prepare for this conversation, especially in the wake of the COVID season. I also wanted to have this conversation today for the family or for the leader that's listening to this, that you yourself are affected by anxiety, mental health challenges, uh, or even just find yourself in a season where you don't feel healthy. Today was for you. We wanted to have this conversation for you. So I pray it's a lifeline. I pray it helps if if there is something that we can do for you or some way that we can help you. If you're needing help in this season, I want to encourage you to reach out to us and it would be our honor to try to connect you with the right resources or if nothing else, offer prayer and support as you're walking forward as a leader in a very, very uncertain and anxiety-filled time. So, hey, without further ado, here is our conversation today with Kayla Stecklin on Leadership Health. I pray that it blesses you. Let's go. So good to have you joining us here tonight. We have some leaders jumping on this call. We have people watching on Facebook and, of course, on our podcast. And um, and uh, just wanted to have a real conversation with you tonight on leadership health. And um, I, it's been big in me the last few months that leadership health trumps leadership ability. So much of leadership development, it seems like, has to do with being a better leader, doing more, accomplishing more. And yet to me, and I, I, we'll, we'll talk a lot about this tonight, to me, the leaders that are lasting in this season are the ones who have committed to a journey of personal health. Hmm. Not that we've arrived, but but healthy leaders are, are lasting and going the distance in all of the challenges that the season has. So that's where I want to kind of take our conversation tonight. And, and um, you have just a wealth of things to share out of your journey and your uh, perspective. Um, but before we do that, I also want to let everybody know that you wrote a book uh, called Fear Gone Wild, and it is absolutely beautiful. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what led you to sit down and put pen to paper on that? Yeah. So about two years ago, you know, I was living um, my dream life. I guess, I guess it was more than two years ago now. I guess it would have been more like three years ago. I was married to my husband, Andrew. We were leading a large, thriving, growing church. Um, he was the lead pastor of the church. And we had these three little boys together living in our dream home. I had the mom car, like really had everything I could have ever asked for and more. And then Andrew got sick. He started having panic attacks, which led to a sabbatical, which led to depression, which led to this summer of living with depression and navigating depression and all that comes with that. And just when we thought that he was getting better and he went back to work, um, a few weeks later, he died by suicide in August of 2018. And so, you know, his story and our story kind of just went viral. It was all over the news. It was all over the newspaper, people showing up at our church, the news station showing up at our church. And so kind of overnight, I was handed this microphone and I um, decided to grab it. I decided to share our story. I decided to um, play a part in how Andrew's story was going to be told. And so 
It started with letters. I started writing him these letters. We have a family blog called godsgotthis.com that I would share those letters on and kind of just went from there. I just kept having more things to share and more things to write and more things I wanted to say to him. And so as I kept doing that, um, it kind of got the attention of different agents and publishing companies and authors, and they started reaching out and God just opened all these doors for me to walk through to write this book. And so I wrote it and it's probably um, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life was writing that book. I would sit at my computer and type and cry. Um, I've told some girlfriends that I've cried as many tears as there are words in that book. It really was like this sacred therapy session every day that I sat down to write, but so healing, like really healing for me to be able to um, relive that journey with him. You know, I kind of start the book um, when the panic attacks started and it kind of goes through our story and um, reliving it was very difficult and reliving the trauma was very difficult. Um, but seeing the beautiful parts and remembering him, remembering our life together. And that was a real life. Like that life I had with him was a real life, just as real as the life that I have today. And so it was the biggest thing that I, that I did that I, that can honor him and um, that will live on and that will help a lot of people. You know, I saw right away how me just writing a couple letters, how God was using that and the stories that were flooding in um, people messaging me, emailing me, messaging me on Instagram saying that our, my public grief saved their life or they were thinking about dying by suicide and they decided to call the hotline instead, or they've been struggling with depression. They finally opened up and told somebody and they checked themselves into rehab. So all these stories were coming in and that's what really um, drew drove me to write the book as well. And for my boys, you know, suicide is so complicated and has so many layers. And so for them, when they're older, to be able to open up the book and really start with the panic attack moment when that very first panic attack came on for Andrew and kind of read through the entire journey and see our love. You know, I had a lot of people tell me that they felt the love that we shared when they, when they read the book. And so for my boys one day to be able to read that and yeah. feel that and experience that and to better understand suicide and to have compassion and empathy for their dad. So lots of reasons why I wrote it. It came out um, in September, just a few months ago in world suicide prevention week. So. Yeah. And um, I, I thought it was awesome. I agree, by the way, I, 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 I know your story from, your first Instagram post on, you know, and it was really great for me to get to live vicariously through your book and understand the, the other side of your story, which has so much to offer. And so, um, and I, I truly believe um, the book is, is life-saving for some. And I think for, for me and probably so many of us, I think it also just gave, it gave me per permission to be human, mm. you know, and to, to realize we all deal with human vulnerabilities and and weakness and of course that's where christ can show himself the strongest and yet it's okay to you know realize we're not invincible and you, you just gave me permission the way the way that you so um publicly grieved has actually just been so healthy and so helpful and uh so just thank you thank you a thousand times for for how you've lived your life. And we got to meet um, in Israel last summer, which was really fun to, you know, we, we, we knew you from an Instagram post, but then to just get to have a few days in Israel of all places. Um, really cool to, to get to meet your boys and what an, what an incredible story God is unfolding, you know, in, in, uh, in your life and for, and for your boys. Thank you. So, 
Um, I wanted to talk tonight on leadership health. And um, I have this reborn commitment, as I mentioned, to leadership health. Even my own journey this summer just includes, I think, recentering around this. Um, get us started on this question, Kayla. Why why does leadership health matter? Like, why does this conver conversation matter to someone listening um, to this conversation today? I think the work of a pastor um, is such a spiritual, like your, your soul is so tied to your work in such a different way than it is in any other career, any other profession. Like you have to fill yourself back up and truly fill your reservoir and truly fill your tank um, to be able to pour out from a place of love. So if you're not able to take that time and have those daily rhythms and have those days off, like actually schedule the guest speaker and like have the weekend off or go on a vacation with your family. If you're not able to have that time off and refuel yourself and read the scripture, just to read the scripture, not to prepare yeah. for the message, like right. read a book, just to read a book, not to prepare for the message, um, to do those self-care things that are not connected to the work that you're doing. Um, I think is the best thing that we can do as a leader to continue growing ourselves, to continue being authentic and real and genuine so that what we're pouring out um, isn't forced. You know, when we fill ourselves back up, then it's a natural overflow of our heart and our love and our soul. Um, that's what our work is. It's this natural overflow. And so when we take time to care for ourselves and to develop those daily rhythms and to have that time away and to spend time in solitude, um, go away to the mountains for the weekend, take off to the desert, you know, do what you need to do to fill yourself back up. But that's how I think we can lead from an authentic place of health. Um, and when we don't do that, we're just leading from empty. And when we lead on empty, it doesn't work. Like burnout is inevitable when you're leading on empty. Yeah, and, and I can't get too far into this conversation without uh, mentioning Wayne Cadero's book, Leading on Empty. I know you mentioned that in, in yeah. your book, you mentioned his book, um, probably one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. Uh, leading on empty by Wayne Gadare. To me, it should be required reading in Bible school, you know, for, for every person who wants to lead a ministry to avoid burnout before we get there. Some great systems and, and thoughts in there around that. I think too, I just really want to see Jesus um, break the power of shame around this conversation, that, that we are supposed to be invincible and that we are only allowed to be strong as leaders. And I think there are things that hold us back. I guess maybe that'd be a question that I would have for you is why do you think we, we struggle to stop and have these conversations and admit if we're getting a little bit unhealthy, I guess, what, what do you think holds us back from entering into this conversation? I think it's fear. I think the underlying thing, the main source of where it would come from would be fear, um, fear of what other people will think, fear of um, what the people that look up to you will think and how they'll see you and if they'll lose respect for you, uh, fear of losing your job, of lo losing your position. Again, it's like the only career <laughs> where like that stuff could actually lead to you losing your job. It shouldn't, um, but it can and it does in some cases. And so I think it all is rooted in fear and so when we 
um, don't face that fear and allow that fear, um, to control us, you know, is when we get ourselves in trouble. And so it's like realizing like, okay, what, where is that coming from? Where is that fear coming from? Where, um, where is that stemming from? Where within me, um, is that coming from? And, and how can I, um, not like shame myself for it and not like try to go around it and not try to be like, I just need to face my fears. Like that is so not going to work. Um, but realizing where that's coming from. And I think having the conversations with the right people. So like calling the therapist, like it's okay (laughs) to uh, love Jesus and a therapist. Like it's okay to have a therapist. It's okay as a leader um, to need therapy. I think it's so healthy for leaders to have somebody that is outside of the church, outside of their friends, group outside of their family, like a third person party, um, to be able to have those conversations with, and to be able to be real and to be able to be honest. Um, and you know, when the times that Andrew was honest and was real with our church and with our staff and, um, you know, with the lead pastor, the other lead team at the church, when he was honest, I felt like it was so well-received and respected. Like when he was finally able just to let his guard down and say, Hey, I'm struggling with anxiety. Hey, I'm having panic attacks. Hey, I was in the hospital. (laughs) You know, I hit a wall. I was in the hospital. I'm struggling. Like I, I need to take a break. Um, that was so well-received. And I think that people really appreciated him being transparent and honest and authentic and not trying to force himself through it. Like you don't have to put on a brave face and force yourself through it. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you are incapable of doing ministry. It doesn't mean you need to quit your job. It doesn't mean you're not qualified for your job. Um, I think those are some of the lies that creep into, like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like I have my faith. I have Jesus. I'm reading my Bible. I'm spending time in scripture. I'm in a small group. I'm tithing. I'm doing all the right things. Like I shouldn't feel this way. And we shame ourselves. And so we try to just push through it when it's okay to feel those feelings, it's okay to welcome those feelings and feel those feelings and to seek help and to be honest. And, you know, if, um, the, if, if the place that you work for is going to let you go because of that, then you're not working for the right place. I agree. Enough said on that. I, I completely agree with that. Um, and by the way, I, uh, maybe this will just help to add this in here too. I, I see a counselor regularly. Uh, I, I think it's in, in my counselor is a spirit filled believer who actually specializes in working with pastors. Um, I'd highly recommend someone like that. It's been one of the greatest things. Um, and I hadn't been seeing her the first half of this year. It was just on a break, felt like things were good. And then 2020 hit and I started back up again. <laughs> so no, let's just break shame off of it. You know, it's, it's, it's the best tune up, um, you, you can get. You, you wrote this in your book, and I just always love hearing you um, share from how your journey with Andrew, you know, your, how, how you experienced it. You said this in your book. You said, what I learned from our long, exhausting summer is that the dark cloud of depression doesn't just block out the light for the afflicted. It also blocks out the light for those who love them the most. And so obviously he was carrying something, but you did too. Mm-hmm. So um, what was it like for you to see your husband diagnosed with depression, you know, struggle with that? Um, and what would you want to tell the person that might be facing some things themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's walking through that moment. 
Yeah, our, we were seeing a counselor together that summer too. You know, we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. And part of that was seeing a counselor together for two hours a week. And I'll never forget her telling me that I was co-burdening Andrew's depression. So I was just getting a small taste of what he was experiencing and living with him. Um, it was, it was like this big dark cloud. And I know that can sound, I think sometimes using that word can sound a little stigmatizing for depression. Um, but it was, that's how it felt in our, in our home. It felt like we were like under attack. It felt like it was just this dark, heavy presence in our home around my husband all the time. Like that's just how it felt. And it was very unpredictable. So I really never knew who I was going to get coming out of the bedroom in the morning. I didn't know if he would be happy, if he would be sad, if he would be full of anxiety, if he would want to just hang out and like do yard work with the kids or go spend the day at the beach. Like I never really knew who I was going to get and it could change throughout the day. And so it was very um, lonely. It was very isolating. You know, being a pastor's wife, a lot of my friends attended our church. And so I didn't really feel like I had anybody that I could go to to share what was going on in our home. I didn't want them to lose respect oh. for Andrew. I um, didn't know how or what to share. Um, there were things that he asked me not to share, you know, because he also I think had that, that worry and that fear of what others were going to think of him and if they were going to lose respect for him. And so he was isolated a lot of the time to our bedroom. Um, he called it the cave. Our, our therapist in one session had told him that he needed to run to the back of the cave and rest. And so he had called our bedroom throughout the summer, the cave. So he would spend a lot of time um, in his in his cave in the bedroom and I would just be with the kids. And our kids were so little. Um, they were two, four and five. So they were really young and they're all boys. So they're very rambunctious. And so I was torn, you know, throughout the summer, I was torn between being caretaker and being wife and like caring for my husband and trying to be there for him. And then also being present with my kids and trying to keep them away from their dads so that he could rest. Um, and we're all sharing a home. <laughs> we're all under the same roof. So it was a very difficult summer. I remember walking around my home um, saying out loud, like, this is the summer from hell. So I, I feel for the person that's walking alongside somebody that's struggling with mental illness. It is very lonely. It is very isolating. It's really hard to know um, what you can share and what you can't share. And a lot of the times they don't want you to share certain things. So it can feel like you're living um, with a taste of what they're going through. And, you know, I think a lot of the times people do struggle with mental illness as well when they're walking alongside somebody who is struggling. So, you know, I would say to the, to the person that's the loved one um, to reach out for help too. You know, I wish that I would have gone to therapy sessions by myself. I wish, you know, we, we went together for two hours every week, but I never went alone. And I wish I would have had two appointments a week, one together. Maybe Andrew should have had one too. One together, one for him, one for me separately. I wish I would have opened up to friends, you know, now in hindsight, like my friends are the same friends and now they know everything and there's no judgment and there's no criticism and there's none of that. So I wish I would have been brave enough um, to share during girls nights. Like, this is what's really going on. Like I'm not okay. Instead of putting on a brave face and, and a smile and yeah, everything's good. You know, we're doing everything we can and he's getting better. Um, I wish I would have been able to 
be more honest and more transparent. And I think that would have really helped me not feel so alone. So I would say reach out for help, invite people in. Um, Mental illness has to be treated as a team. Like it cannot be treated alone. Um, And part of that team is the therapist. Part of that team is the doctor. Part of that team is your community. So your small group, your, your close friends, your family, maybe those are friends outside of the church too. If you're in ministry, maybe it's friends that work at a different church or live in a different state or don't, you know, aren't in your church. Um, we had friends that were in other churches that we still didn't reach out to. So, you know, it's, it's inviting people into your pain. Um, and I think when we do that, the cool thing about that is when we do that, we give permission to those people to share their pain too, because everybody has pain. We're all either going going through something, just went through something or about to go through something like that's life. (laughs) We're always going through something. Um, so I think the biggest lesson that I learned is how important community is. And we really lacked it in that season. Well said, well said. What do you think contributes to us as leaders finding ourselves in a place where we're just not healthy? Um, what, and I know there's probably a myriad of reasons, but maybe from just your, your seat and your observations, what are some of the contributing factors that you're seeing maybe as patterns out there right now? I think ministry in general can be all consuming. It can take up every day of the week, every thought in your mind, every thought while you're trying to go to sleep at night, especially when you're at the top of the organization. I mean, it's just this pressure um, that's, that never lets up. And so I think it's that pressure and, and it never stops. I remember Andrew saying like Sundays just keep coming. Like they yeah. just keep coming and they just keep coming. They just keep coming and they it's don't like having stop. It every seven days, you know? <laughs> yeah. You just, you just gave the message on Sunday and it's Monday morning and you have to start working on the next one. Like it just never stops. And so I think, you know, it's that pressure that I think it's this pressure cooker, um, that contributes to that, um, can you remind me of your question? Cause now I feel like I'm getting like off. Yeah. Campus. Just contributing factors of, of, um, why leaders find themselves in a place where they're not well, where they're not healthy. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's that pressure I think is the, the biggest thing that I saw in our home. Um, and, and, you know, in the, in the day and age of like social media and, um, Instagram and all of that, I mean, the pressure is on even more for everybody. It's not just for pastors. It's like, all of us feel like we need to have this following. We need to have this persona and we want people to like us. And, um, you know, I think there's so much that just never ends. We're just all on this hamster wheel that's spinning and it never ends. And if you have kids too, like not only, you know, you get off of work and you come home and you're back on the hamster wheel with your kids and it's just go, 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 go. You hit the bed at night, you get up in the morning and it's go, 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 go again. And so I think it's finding ways to break that cycle of that go, 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 and finding spaces where you can rest and where you can retreat, even if it's just for like an hour in the morning, like getting up an extra hour early, which I mean, you probably need the sleep, but getting up an extra hour early and having that quiet space, like that's been one of the most helpful things to me in those seasons where I feel like I'm just on a spinning wheel and I can't get off, um, is creating that margin that maybe I don't have in my day of like getting up early and spending time reading and maybe doing a little workout and having a cup of coffee and like filling myself back up before I start the day. 
Um, but I think there's just so much pressure. It didn't used to be this way. You know, church didn't used to look this way. There didn't used to be when you, you didn't used to be able to watch the online message of the pastor in South America. Like, you know, like we, we wouldn't have been able to do that like 25 years ago. Like it just looks so different and there's so much comparison and there's so much pressure and it just looks so different. I'm really curious to see, um, what that's going to look like after 2020 and what the future of that's going to feel like and look like, and maybe this will help. Maybe it won't be as much pressure. Who knows? I'm not in it anymore. And I tell myself all the time, that I am grateful that I am not, not leading a church right now because I can't even imagine what that looks like and feels like in this season of coronavirus of 2020 crazy year. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably all kinds of things, but I think the number one thing is just the pressure the never ending, never relenting pressure. Yeah. And I think uh, a, a note I would add in there, just that this is the leading second podcast. And so we're talking to leaders who find themselves in kind of the proverbial second seat leading from the middle i think we also can be really unaware of pressures our pastors face at times and we just don't know the weight of it and and probably i mean i think you could probably speak to that but until you've done it you just don't know how that seat feels yeah i feel like i'm feeling that as a single parent because i was a stay-at-home mom and all the pressure was on andrew and he really was the leader of our home the leader of our family he brought home the bacon i didn't have to work like he took care of everything like i really just got to take care of the kids and support him and support the church the best way i could but now he passed away and now all this pressure is on me. And I had no idea the weight and the pressure that he was carrying. I thought I knew, but I had no idea. And so I think that's just a really good reminder for people that are in that second seat. Like you might think that you know what it feels like and what it looks like to be at the top of an organization, but you don't know unless you're there. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it's heavy. So you have taught us all so much about grief, I feel you, you've just been a, a, an awesome teacher, you know, through even just through your blogs and, and your book and Instagram and whatnot. But I love when you started our call today, I can't remember if it was before or after I pushed broadcast. So, uh, but, but you just said, I'm genuinely happy. And that, that alone meant the world to me, even just to hear you say that, I mean, what, what, what an incredible journey, you know, to get to the point So let me ask you this question. What are you learning about health in this season? You've taught us so much about grief that's been so powerful. What are you learning about your, uh, a new place of health for you as a leader? You know, you're, you're, you're leading so many people right now, even through your, through your words. Um, what, what are you learning about health? It looks different every season. I think maybe that's the biggest thing that I'm learning is that it really does the way that you pursue it, the way that you prioritize it, um, the way that you chase after it, like it looks so different in every season. And so I am in a new season. Um, We moved into our home about a month ago and we're about an hour away from where we were before. And where we were before was where I grew up. Um, It's where we led the church together with Andrew. And there was just so many memories tied to that location that I felt like I um, couldn't heal anymore. I felt like I hit a wall 
And if I stayed there, I wouldn't be able to heal anymore. I couldn't drive to Trader Joe's and have to pass the cemetery anymore. Like I just had to get out of there and have a fresh start somewhere that's brand new, somewhere where there's no ties to Andrew, um, somewhere where we could really get to tell the story the way that we want to tell it. It's not told for us. Um, I don't run into people at drop off at school. I don't run into people at the grocery store. Like it's just a completely different life. And so I think the biggest thing for me is being aware of those things, like listening to my intuition, listening to my gut, um, listening to that little voice that's saying like, Hey, I think it's time to go. Like, I think it's time to pack up and get out of here. Um, I think it's time to, um, start the next chapter. I think that's, what's been so healing and helpful for me is to really, um, follow the lead of those feelings. I mean, that's the Holy spirit leading me in my healing journey and leading us to what's next, you know? And so following that and being brave enough to dare to dream beyond the destruction of my life, like my life completely fell apart and I was handed this brand new life that I never saw coming. And I get to decide where I want to go. You know, I describe it as I went from the passenger seat with these three little boys in the back and Andrew's driving the car. I went from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. And I still have these three little boys in the back of the car that are like, Hey mom, where are we going? And I'm looking to God and saying, Hey God, where are we going? And so it's listening to him and leaning in. And, um, for me, you know, I've found a lot of healing and reading. Um, I've been soaking up just different, different kinds of books. Um, and I, I feel like my spirituality in this season has expanded so much more. It's like, I'm not attending church the way that I was before. None of us are 2020 just looks different for everybody. Um, but I feel like the God that I'm encountering in this season of life is in everything, everywhere, all of the time. Like I can go sit on the beach and stare at the ocean and be like brought to tears by the overwhelming presence of God. I can sit with my kid and play Legos on the floor by the fireplace and be brought to tears by the overwhelming presence of God. I can be at an Italian restaurant with a bunch of girlfriends having a bunch of ravioli and wine and sharing conversation and be blown away by the presence of God. And I think that's what's been so healing for me is that, you know, for so long, um, God was in a building and it was what we did for work. It was... Um, it was just part of our life was this, this ministry and this church we were leading. And I felt the pressure to fit this cookie cutter of pastor's wife and who, what that looked like and what I wanted that to look like and what was expected from me. And it's like, now I'm free to be whoever I want to be, um, to lead my family, however I want to leave my family. And it's scary and it's a lot of freedom and it's very scary. And my kids are really young and it's scary to be the leader of my home. Um, but I really feel so free to um, discover God, to encounter God, to heal, to dream, to create the life that I want to live and to lead my boys the way that I want to lead them. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me has been reading. It's been going for walks. It's been being outside. It's been saying yes um, to open doors and invitations. Yes. To things like Israel, where I met you. Yes. To things like the book. Yes. To things like this, um, things that would have been very outside of my comfort zone before. Um, yeah, all of those things. Beautiful. Beautiful. I heard it said one time, um, God is no man's debtor. He, he doesn't take, he gives. Mm. And so any, any moment that feels like loss, he, he will repay, he will rebuild, he and he will restore. 
but he does use pain, you know, sometimes to reveal himself in a new way to us. And, and, um, so, so pain at the time feels like a loss, but I believe God always meets us there. And, um, which kind of segues into a question that we had pop up on Facebook that I'll throw your way. You may have just spoken to it a little bit, maybe lean into it just a little bit more. What role do you feel the Holy Spirit played in your journey of healing? How, how has the helper helped you, mm. you know, walk through the last two years? Mm-hmm. I really, um, you know, when we were walking through the mental health journey with Andrew, I got, it felt like God was so far away. It felt like we were in this wilderness, desert season. Where are you, God? Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you coming through? Why isn't he getting better? And then Andrew died. And then it literally felt like God was everywhere all of the time and everything, like every little thing, even my like closest friends were like blown away at what God was doing in my life. Like it was just so apparent and just everywhere and so obvious. And so, you know, I would say that, um, I felt the Holy spirit lead me in all kinds of, in all kinds of ways in everything. Like I, I just, my eyes have been opened up to see life so differently. I feel like I can see, um, the love of God in everybody, in everything, in the ocean, in my friends, in strangers. Like I can see the reflection of the love of God in everybody in such a different way. I think I have a newfound appreciation for life because I lost my husband and I've tasted death. And I, in that season of um, grief and grieving, and I'm still grieving, it just looks totally different today than it did the last year. Um, But in that really dark season of grief and grieving where there were days where I wanted to die, you know, I struggled with suicidal thoughts in that season as well. Um, But, but I felt and encountered and met God, the comforter. Um, and that was really what carried me through. Um, there's a verse that I had on my fridge. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and comforts those who are crushed in spirit. And honestly, like I really felt that so deeply through those really, really dark, dark, isolating, lonely, heavy. I want to escape my body because I'm so consumed with pain days. Like there were so many days where the pain was unrelenting and overwhelming. And I did didn't want to feel it anymore. Um, and I can say that I still have that pain. Um, but it just looks and feels differently today than it did then. Like that's the biggest thing that I've learned about grief is that the pain moves forward with you. It's not something that you move on from. It's not something that you leave behind. Um, I read this book called a grace disguise. It's a beautiful book for anybody that's going through a grieving journey, a grace disguised. And in it, he talks about how, um, he lost a lot of people. I think he lost his mom and his wife and a child all in a car accident. And so he talks about how he had this beautiful, it was like, he had this beautiful tree that was chopped down and the stump remained and how he, when he was rebuilding his life and moving forward from his grief, like the stump was always there and the stump will always be there, but he can build a beautiful landscape around it. And so that's what we're doing in this season. And I really do feel like God is doing that with us. I really do feel like, um, he is leading us through that. You know, I really felt like the book was something that was being obedient to God. I feel like the move was something that God opened the door and led us to. 
Um, I don't think, you know, for me, it's not this audible voice that I hear. It's not this like aha moment. Um, it's more of like a lot of little moments and a lot of nudges that I finally listen to like, okay, God, okay. Okay. I hear you. Okay. I'm going to follow that. Um, that comes, that comes through all different sorts of people and all different kinds of situations that it all comes together. I'm like, oh, that's God trying to tell me something. Um, so that's what it's looked like for me. Great. I love it. I love it. What rhythms um, have you set up or are you setting up in your life uh, just to continue to lead yourself to a place of greater health? And, and before you answer that, I, I love how you just said that grief does move forward with us. I mean, I think, I think we can beat ourselves up sometimes because we feel like we haven't moved past something. Like, why am I not over this? And I love how you've given us permission to that statement to realize that, that some of these things are going to go forward with us, but I'd love to know if there's just some rhythms you're setting up in your life that are, that are leading you forward even more into a place of greater health and strength. I honestly, um, have been running the last two years. I have just been running. We had bought a home and moved into a home. I'd been renovating the home. I had been traveling all over. I'd been sharing our story all over. I'd written this book. I have these three little boys. I had just been running. And now we moved into this um, different home. It's not a new home. It's an old home. <laughs> and it's quite a fixer upper. Um, but I really do feel like I have finally been able to catch my breath. And so I'm finally able to breathe deep and to not try so hard and to slow down. And so I'm really trying to slow down. I'm trying to um, take the dog for a long walk. Um, sit on the floor and play with my kids. Like today I dropped the boys off at school and I went to the store and I got groceries and I just worked in the kitchen and prepped meals for two hours and just enjoyed that. And, you know, told myself like, I don't have to accomplish anything today. It's okay just to cook and make healthy meals. And I'm taking care of my body that way by having those things in the fridge to grab during the week. Um, you know, I feel like I'm really trying to be intentional about slowing down and even like not having noise on in the house. So today while I was home all day, I didn't have the radio on. I wasn't on my phone. The TV wasn't on in the background. Like it was just quiet. And I think sometimes, you know, that's when I am able to connect with God the most is when it's just quiet and I'm like having these conversations in my mind and things are popping into my head and ideas are popping into my head while I'm cooking lentil soup or whatever I'm making um, for the day, but really trying to be intentional about slowing down. And I'm working towards rhythms. I wouldn't say I have these rhythms that have been working. We just moved. And so we're getting into the swing of what life looks like here. And it's different. Um, the school schedule is different for my kids are going to different schools and and so it looks different. And so I'm trying to figure out what that's going to look like. Something that I've been trying to get back to um, since Andrew passed away has been getting up early in the morning. It's something that I really actually looked forward to and enjoyed when he was alive. It was something that I started doing um, when my youngest son, I think, was like six months old. And it was so helpful for me. I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning. I'd go downstairs. I'd sit at the kitchen counter. I'd make my little pre-workout drink. I would get out my Jesus Calling devotional and my journal and a, and a book. And I would sit 
and read and journal and read a chapter from the book and then go into the garage and exercise all before anybody else in the house was awake. And it felt so good. It felt like I had accomplished so much while it was still dark outside. And I felt like I could pour out the rest of the day. And so I've been working towards getting back to that and not shaming myself for not being there. Um, but slowly, I feel that nudge uh, from the Holy Spirit to get back to that um, just because it was so good for me. So eventually, you know, we'll get back to that. Grief kind of knocked the wind out of me, um, but slowly rebuilding our life. Yeah, I think it's great. And uh, you and I are kindred spirits on the silence thing. I I feel very boring sometimes, but I am I am a no music person often when I'm by myself, and I love it. It's it's my it's my favorite thing. I feel like I have a little bit of sanity, you know, <laughs> in those moments. Yeah. Um, had a question come in from Facebook. Back to the subject of our pastors. Um, how can a second chair leader help support? not just the lead pastor, but the lead pastor's spouse and family. I thought that was a great question that is uh, because the whole family's in ministry and, mm -hmm. and certainly for a pastor. So um, what would you say to that? How can a second chair leader support not just the lead pastor, but also their spouse and family? Mm. You know, I think it doesn't have to be like this grandiose, this big thing. Um, I think it can be as simple as like sending a text message, like the wife of that second chair person can text the wife of the lead pastor and grab coffee or just send an encouraging Bible verse. You know, I think what means so much, um, to the lead person is the encouragement. You know, they get so many emails and comments and they get nitpicked from a lot of people. Um, I think Rob Bell called it death by paper cuts. And sometimes it can feel that <laughs> way. you know, That's it's true. like all these little tiny things that eventually just get to you. And so I think that affirmation that like, Hey, you did a good job today. Like, Hey, that message, I loved this specific thing that you talked about in the message. I mean, I think being specific meant a lot to my husband, like, yeah, the message was good, but what did you like about it? It's like being specific and, um, and affirming them and loving on them and going out of your way to check in on them and ask them how they're doing. And it could just be sending over some Jenny's ice cream to their house or sending a box of flowers when it's a special day. Um, I think, yeah, all those things, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, but I think there's little ways that we can go out of our way to make the effort to show them that we care and that we love them and that we, um, you know, we know that they're human, <laughs> you know, I think it's remembering that they're human. Like they're all, we're all human. And the people at the top are human. They're not superhuman. Um, so I think just remembering that. Yeah. I love that, you know, what Jenny's ice cream is by the way. Oh, it's so good. It's my Someone favorite. sent it to me. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, I am kind of like a, like a tour of the nation by ice cream sort of person. Like okay. if I'm somewhere, I want another local ice cream and that is hands down my favorite anywhere. So, so good. Um, I, I appreciate that. You know that, <laughs> um, Hey, I'm just going to start wrapping things up and just say a big thank you to you for, um, not only your time tonight, because I do, I do appreciate everything you said about slowing down. So thank you for making time for this. And we're going to make uh, good use of this and get this in front of a lot of people. I believe that, You've um, shared some gold tonight and and brought some hope uh, to some leaders tonight. Uh, but more importantly, thank you for how you've lived your life publicly in this season. You didn't have to do that. And you didn't have to write all those posts. Uh, I'm sure it was a bit therapy, 
you know, but you, you, you didn't have to involve all of us in it. And then, but because you did, um, I know you've saved a lot of lives and I don't think that's overstating it or being dramatic. You've, you've, you've saved a lot of lives and you've given so many of us hope. So I just wanted to honor you tonight and thank you for that. You mean a lot to Lindsay and I, well, we will, we'll always remember the, the Israel chats over pizza in, uh, the, the, um, what was it called? The old city? Uh, yeah, the old city. We were that day. And now, yeah. now I'm going to sound Israeli illiterate here. Talking <laughs> about. Uh, just thank you for, um, thank you for, for who you are and how you lived your life. And we, um, we, we truly, truly love you, honor you tonight. Um, maybe just wrap us up and land the plane. Uh, this is my favorite question to ask guests. So I, I ask you as well. Uh, what is your prayer for the local church in this season? Mm -hmm. um, we are in a significant season. Yeah. Um, what's your prayer for the local church? Hmm. That's a really great question. And, you know, my heart has been so heavy for the local church. I've imagined so many times what life would look like if Andrew was here and we were trying to navigate ministry in this season. Um, my prayer would be that the local church would find a way um, to foster just rest in this season. I know it's a crazy season, um, but that they would know that they don't have to try so hard and that um, it's okay to rest and it doesn't have to be perfect. And um, God's got them and God's gonna take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I love it. Thank you so much, Kayla. Um, appreciate you. you tonight and all of our, all of our best to you and your, uh, your amazing boys. We love you. Love you. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to say a big thank you to Kayla for joining us today. I hope that you'll go and get her book, Fear Gone Wild. It's such a powerful read. It will help you, uh, and speak life into you on your journey to just be a healthy leader for God's church. Uh, also, I want to encourage you again to join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. That's our place. We do life and community. We would love to have you there. So Leading Second, we love you. We're praying for you today. A couple episodes left for season three that we believe will speak life into your journey in 2020 as a leader in God's church. So, hey, we love you. Until next time, Leading Second, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, you can go to leadingsecond.com and find our digital magazine. You can also follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond to keep up with our community of uncommon church builders. Yeah.